Welcome to Turning Little Stones, the podcast where we take a fresh look at the fascinating world of young children. In this episode, we'll be talking about full-bodied, whole-hearted movement play. And when we recorded this episode with Penny, we realised that there was just too much content and we didn't want to lose any of it in the edit or risk making it too long. And so we've decided to make this into a two-part series. Welcome to Turning Little Stones, the podcast that takes a fresh look at the fascinating world of young children. As a parent, experienced child care professional and early years consultant, I get how much we dream good things for our children. We start out hopeful and confident, and yet somehow the daily reality can feel more like a grind than a gift. And so we easily miss out on the joys of these fleeting early years. Over time, I've come to realize that to give our children the best start in life, we first need to recognize what's going on inside them, in secret. There is some great research out there, and my heart is to make some of this relatable for everyone. And so, throughout these weekly podcasts, I hope that whoever you are, parent, family carer, childminder, practitioner, anyone who spends time with young children can take a moment each week to reinterpret what our children are doing and why. And by doing so, I have seen countless exasperated, bewildered, exhausted carers become re-energized and inspired as they find easy ways to connect with what their young children are naturally eager to do. A little like turning over a pebble in a rock pool to discover a hidden world tucked away. We too will look at our children with fresh eyes and delight in being part of their journey. Welcome, Penny. I would love to know a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into Javadeo. What what does Javadeo mean? And so, we're going back to 1985, and I was a young dancer. Uh, in fact, I was working for the Arts Council in a funny post um, way back then when they were trying to uh, kickstart more community dance, and they created these posts called Dance Animateurs. Enough to put anybody off. <laughs> um, but basically, our job was to make things happen um, through dance in the community. And as I was doing that, I got an inkling for another way of working. Uh, because that was relatively traditional in that it was um, taking known dance forms. Contemporary dance was just really taking off back then. Um, and exploded since, of course. Um, taking known dance forms and taking them out into unusual spaces. And so that used to be my sort of motto, I'm, I'm doing dance in unusual spaces. But actually, I wanted to do a different sort of movement work because it struck me that, that, although that was a lovely thing to do, I was teaching them women's prison, rock and roll, okay. uh, all sorts of things like that. I was teaching, I was engaged in the early years for the first time, um, working yeah. in playgroups, you know, before the early years sector really got going. Um, and I, I, I kept thinking this is not quite the right fit. And so I was looking for another way of working with the body and movement. And that's how Javadeo got born. Um, looking for, I, I mean, very fancily, I wouldn't be this fancy these days, but I, I said, we're looking for a new role for dancers in our society. Now, it's a new role here 
it's the traditional role in many cultures across the world, where dance is such a key part of life uh, and healthcare um, and social life and emotional development. So that's how it started. The word, hmm, Jabadeo, is a dance, Jabadao. It's a dance, it's a northern French dance, and broadly speaking, you dance it to feel better. Um, and that seemed like a, a lovely, lovely thing. It was actually the result of three long days in a library looking for a word to call a company with a design, a design team saying to me, you've got to name this company, you've got to name this company. And actually they're so good in France, aren't they? There's squares and, and some music playing and couples get up and start waltzing or dancing together is, is just so, so lovely. Yeah, I can see the fit, so thank you. Yeah. yeah. In northern France, you'll see the Jabadao being hoppity-skipped around. Absolutely. It's a, it's a beautiful dance. Mm. So you've sort of evolved and you're doing an awful lot of your work for the early years. I connected with you, actually, as somebody who accessed one of your training programmes uh, a number of years ago. And I have to say, it impacted what we did in our settings massively um you know we set up it became core to our work to have a, a development movement space an area even if it was just in one room it it became so important because i saw the impact and the benefits on the young children so i would just love you to tell us a little bit about um about that really your um you do an awful lot of research, I know, into the body and how developmental movement play can benefit young children. So just a little bit about the importance. Again, back, back in when we first began working in the early years, it was very much... Practitioners thought that we would come in and lead creative dance, and that just didn't cut the mustard for me. I mean, it, it, I was looking for a deeper connection into what little bodies were looking for, and the more we worked in earlier settings, the more we noticed themes emerging in little bodies, and we didn't know why. So if you like, the whole journey of creating developmental movement play was be able to be able to look at a small body moving and dare to ask the question, well, why? Um, there's an interesting thing that in sort of um, academic circles around research and physical development is, um, are you looking... Are you supporting what is desired or what is demonstrated? Which is fancy for desired is, are we just plugging away at the milestones? We want children's bodies to do this. Um, or are we looking at what they're actually doing? Yes. So that is really the core of developmental movement. If we're going to look at what they're actually doing, some of which is really challenging, wriggly, writhy, when we'd like them to be still, you know, yeah. what's desired, stillness, yeah. what's actually happening, Wrigley Rivey. Um, mm. uh, or if we're looking at, it's often boys, but not exclusively. If we're looking at a bunch of boys, the traditional words are rough and tumble. Push, yeah. push, pull, biffity, yeah. tussle, that stuff. If we're looking at that, but we want them to be more contained. And what's yeah. the gap? Why are they doing that? Have they got up in the morning and thought, we know how to... Uh, annoy these early years practitioners and our parents, or yeah. are they responding to signals in their body, mm -hmm. inviting them to move in a way that's de developmentally useful? Yeah. So the quest was, okay, what what off purpose is going on here? Yes. Um, 
and having uh, and the, where we went to, we spent a couple of years looking at different uh, ways of working with physical development across the world, and yes. we bumped into uh, developmental movement as a theory, um, which we'd used a little before, but never so massively. And that's uh, unpacking developmental movement. What does every little human body need to, to go through to build its sensory and its motor system? Uh, and if we knew that, we might get a clue as to what children are doing as they're moving in front of our eyes. So that's, that's the background. Um, I love it. Yeah, the work all the way through that time has been trying to make that simple, because it's a huge theory. It's, it often strikes me like this. If you said to somebody, oh, you use words in your nursery, um, oh, that, that's very interesting, what do you do? It would be terribly difficult to talk about all the different ways you use words. Yes. And, all, and we train and train ourselves to get better and better at that. Reading, writing, expressing, in so many ways. Yes. In movement, we have some pretty inflexible milestones and we tick them off. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I just, as you're talking, recalling some really kind of naughty behaviour or, or behaviours that um, practitioners would interpret as being naughty or difficult actually given them the right context to perform those movements, to perform that behaviour, it stops being naughty. It, it starts to be something that can be celebrated. And quite often, once that energy release has occurred, then they can return to whatever the other activity is in a, in a completely different mindset and generally more compliant, let's face it. <laughs> Because they're able to be beautifully put. Yes, um, it's, I think there's a... We're all pretty familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, we look at that somewhere in our training. Um, what do we human beings need to make life work? Well, there's a kind of hierarchy in our bodies as well. And many of those naughty movements, which are only naughty because the culture says they are, because we don't see the purpose, uh, many of them are about top-level need that this body needs this now in order to be able to do anything else. Um, yes. I mean, yeah. The, yeah, the big example, I've got a little chap at the moment in a setting we work a lot with, who is four. He doesn't settle to circle time well. We know these children, we know lots of children like this. And you'll know this child. He's, um, he's on the radar, people are a bit worried about him because he's on the move a great deal and he's seeking movements that are not what is desired, <laughs> but he's demonstrating loads. Um, and if you think about, I mean, yeah, this must be so familiar to you. As a child who finds sitting still, not moving, difficult, as various uh, um, times when they know they're going to have to do that, loom up in the day. They're real pinch points, aren't they? They must get to be, <gasps> I've got something I need, everybody wants me to do. I would love to be able to do and I can't. Ah, they must feel ghastly. What do they do with this little guy now? Um, they recognise that he needs to move and move and move, big, strong movement, in order to buy some time to be quiet. So his body will get what it needs. They do heavy work. So he is now invited to move the furniture 
which doesn't actually need moving, but he moves the furniture in order to make space for circle time. And he's so delighted to be useful, and he's getting the body, he's getting the movement he needs to, which we can talk about if you want to, but he's getting what he needs. He's so delighted he's brought in a high-vis jacket, which he wears and tells everybody, I'm getting the space ready. So he does 20 minutes of hard physical work, pushing and shoving furniture, and then he can sit beautifully as the adults would like him to. And it's less of a pinch point. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you're watching what his, his movement needs are and giving that an outlet. OK, so I love that story and I could echo it many, many times, but it's absolutely glorious. But um, you have identified over the years and distilled five different ways of moving in young children. Can you just very briefly unpack what they are? Because I think they're also age-related a little bit, aren't they, as well? The theory is constant for us. The theory that underpins developmental movement play, DMP for short, um, is constantly shifting. And it will have shifted a bit since we worked together, which is great. Um, yeah. We choose five because it's... I mean, to be honest, uh, totally honest about it, five fruit and veg, we know it's not actually five. Five ways of moving, we know it's not actually five. We just need something we can get our heads around and our bodies yeah. around. So yeah. these days, the five are this. Yeah. And between you and me, they add up to any kind of movement a child would want to do. Okay. Yeah. But it, but it's, so it's all about we adults just being able to frame what we see. <laughs> Hook things onto Hook. something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, floor play. Um, so everything that happens down on the floor, yes. flat on the floor, and there's that, that will be lots of different kinds of movement. We, yeah. um, push pull play, yeah. and that's what little chap moving furniture was doing. Yeah. Spin tip upside down swing play. Uh, halfway play, and that's not the things down flat on the floor, and before it's up on two, two legs. So yeah. it's the, the things that are quite hidden. Because as soon as a child starts to come away from the floor, we're very eager to get them up on two pins. And yeah. we've identified, uh, again, it's an arbitrary number, seven things to look out for. Actually, there's 77 probably, but, or 1,007. Um, and then upright play. So the things that we will have done on a course will be encompassed somewhere in there. They haven't gone away. It's no, just we've no. slightly reframed um, as we learn more. And am I right in, in recalling that, actually, if some of these stages are missed, it has a detrimental effect or it, some, some issues may appear as a consequence when they're older? I mean, an easy way of perhaps r relating that is, you know, the child who doesn't crawl. OK, I want to throw an image in that we put right at the centre of our training now, which is a tower of bricks. We've all played Jenga. Um, and, yeah. if, you know, if you want to build a, a tall tower, you really hope that the bottom bricks are well in place. Um, yes. And each brick in a Jenga tower supports the one above it and is supported yes. by the one below it. And if the one below it shifts or the one above it shifts, everything changes. So it's a very dynamic structure. Now, we look at physical development a bit like that, that currently the curriculum starts several bricks up. 
and it misses some of the, the absolute foundation bricks, certainly. And also, our Tower of Bricks curriculum-wise or milestone-wise is really partial. Some of them are hanging in the air, mm. ungrounded. So your question is a good one. Uh, if you miss some of those, might there be problems? Well, if some of the bricks are wobbly, there may be. You may get away with it. So I don't want to be absolutely definitive about it, but I want to say, if we're building a tower, let's pay real attention to each brick and, and know what it is. Uh, and that's what developmental movement is. It's each little piece in that tower. And presumably valuing it. Utterly. That's the point. Because some of them are fiddly diddly little movements that you will have seen a million times and not thought they have any significance. But if we value them, thank you for that word, it's all about valuing each piece of movement rather than saying, well, I don't understand that, therefore it's useless and purposeless, which is terribly easy for all of us to do. And we'll still be doing it about things we, have, we don't yet understand. Yeah, so I, I get that. And some of these itty-bitty movements <clears throat> presumably can be quite frustrating or irritating to an adult carer. Um, uh, maybe even causing us a little bit of disquiet. Mm, let's, yeah, let's separate out two sorts of movement. Because the other big sort of shift in the way we talk about developmental movement play now is this. We, we did talk about it when, uh, before, but it, it's more clear now. If you're going to look at physical development, you have to look not just at motor control and motor skill, which is what it tends to focus on, those milestones, but also on sensory development. And little children move as much to create sensation to prompt their sensory development as they do to learn a motor skill, reach out, grasp something, handle it. And the movement that prompts sensory development are often the ones that we adults find annoying. They're the wriggly jigglies. They're the spin, tip, roll, lie on your back, wave your legs in the air. Uh, they're the ones that don't look contained or purposeful because they're all about the feel. They're all about creating a sensation in the body to learn about that sensation and to learn our first course now um, in the developmental movement uh, programme is called the feeling of me. And that sits underneath all the motor control stuff. So those, those I think, are the ones you're identifying as the ones that annoy we adults, the sensation-driven movement. I'm lying yeah. on the floor, wriggling my back against the floor and pushing against the person next to me because it's giving me really good information. And I can recall, actually, um, one of the resources that are, uh, you, you sell, I believe, um, are, it's like a body ball, but it's slightly deflated. So it's not like an, ex, an adult exercise ball. It's, uh, it's slightly deflated. And the number of babies and, you know, non-movers, non-walkers, who settle just by with support, obviously, lying across this, mostly on their tummy. And just, it's a soothing, enjoyable, something happens inside them. So <clears throat> this same child, a few seconds ago, minutes ago, is feeling a bit raggy, <clears throat> put them into that position with support, usually with a, a, a gentle hand on the back. Um, they just settle. And magic, yes. absolute magic. I tell you what that magic might be, mm -hmm. and this is the kind of detail we go into when we're training now. There's a reflex in our front, in our front body, between the hip and the bottom rib, 
sort of, um, and it's a reflex. Oh, I love this. If you lie a baby on its tummy, yeah. tiny, tiny from the get-go, that reflex on a firm surface, that could be your body or it could be the floor, it's not going to be the bed, that's a bit squishy. Uh, that reflex, in contact with the floor, wakens up and just sucks that little body towards the ground. And that reflex's purpose is to help that body to ground, to feel the earth beneath it and to feel like it is held and supported. So when you lie, and being down on the ground is often a step too far for some children, it feels too flat and helpless if they're older and upright. But if you lie that little body on a, ball, a, a rounded ball, maybe that reflex, it's only, they're all maybes, maybe that reflex is just kicking into action and that, that little suck is happening and that body feels more grounded. So it's a real regulating me, me and the earth together. Um, yeah. I'm safe, I'm okay. Beautiful. Thank you for that. That's, um, that's actually amazing. Talk about physical maturity there, then. Um, I don't know, just let me, let me run with this. But that, yeah. that same baby who is presumably developing some kind of core strength as well, yeah. um, and that will evolve. So as they physically mature, that whole core strength, which I guess most of us know about as being so important, that will benefit their growth and their whole lives. Absolutely. This is, this is foundations for a lifetime. It's not, it's not just getting up onto two feet so I can then do what the <clears throat> next bit of curriculum asks of me. It's absolutely foundations for life, feeling right in our own skin and having the capacity to be fully physical. Yes, it's about core strength, and it's one of the things we talk about a lot on training at the moment, that we tend to notice strength in our culture. It's one of those desired things. Strength is desired. Of course it's desired. We need it. But there's something that we might miss, which is core connection. And human bodies connect up from the belly button, out, 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 through the mid points, out to the edges. So our hands and feet are the last things to connect up. But we, we need a connection between our distant points, our hands and our feet, our midpoints, our knees and our elbows and our shoulders, right the way through to our centre all the time. Yes. If we don't have that, we feel like a jumble of limbs. Uh, we don't feel good in our own skin. So that's the other thing that's happening for that little child on a ball. They're waking up their belly button and their core. Yes, if you blow the ball right up, it becomes a, a core strength activity, even if it's soggy, which we always recommend, and you start pushing and rolling over it, it's core strength, but it's also core connection. So I guess... I'm feeling like our job at the moment is to say, yeah, you're seeing strength, great. Now look at this other thing too, because it's as important. The things that get hidden in our culture around physicality. I absolutely love that. You've got this phrase as well, which I love, um, which is the infant expert. Um, yes, if you could just help us understand what you mean by that. It's kind of, it sounds like one of those phrases you might use to big up a course, doesn't it? It's utterly, utterly real. Our babies and children are absolutely expert in developing their physical development. We, because we all did it too, clever us, we all come in hardwired, our body brain knows what to do, and we seek out the experiences we need to develop well, which brings us back to some of those movement behaviours that we adults are thinking, oh, that's a bit 
that's challenging, that's naughty, whatever words we put to it, judgmental. Yeah. Uh, actually, maybe this body is seeking out just exactly what it needs today to develop well. Now, I just want to put in parentheses, uh, maybe that little body, that little person is trying to wind you up. That happens too. So our job is to separate the two. But yeah, maybe, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that body is telling me something that it needs. And if it's a theme that builds over time, you can be sure it's something that that body is telling me it needs. So babies from day one and children are expert in their own physical development. Their brain looks at the world around them, the environment, which is very pertinent to we early year specialists. We create environments for learning. Our brain sees the environment and uses it to develop as well as it can. What small child walking home from school sees a low wall and doesn't jump on and have a little balance along it? <clears throat> Not many adults do, but children do. We've, we've, we've actually become a culturized not to because what adult also will tell you in the frozen food aisle at Aldi's, they don't have a certain desire to whiz down and slide, but they don't. <laughs> you see that lovely long slidey <laughs> corridor and you want to go. I was on tour with a lovely bunch of Jabodeo team members. I had some glorious young acrobats with me and we were shopping <laughs> because we were on tour and we needed food that evening. <laughs> and the woman at the checkout started laughing and I turned round and they'd made a human pyramid in the shopping trolley. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but most of us think it's, it's beneath us, yeah. We're too mature for such behaviour. Well, we don't, because the culture says don't. So we move less and less and less. In fact, we become less expert at maintaining our own bodies. But children are real experts. They see the environment, they go for it. They see a big open space, and here's a challenge for we adults, and they whiz and they slide and they run, and of course they do, because they're hardwired to do it. So that's what we mean by infant experts. We go over real solid theory because it's a tricky one to articulate to parents and colleagues and Ofsted inspectors, etc., etc., or Estin if you're in Wales. But we notice through observations over and over and over that children set more demanding physical development curriculums than we adults. So at the, another core of developmental movement play, DMP, is recognising the infant expert and working with them. And the flip side of that is we call adults helpful adults. And the question is, how can we be genuinely helpful to this body as opposed to telling it what to do, telling it what not to do and overriding its own expertise? I hope you'll agree there is so much that Penny has shared with us that we'll just want to take some time to reflect and think about how we're currently supporting our children's need to move. And so we'll be picking this up again next time with Penny Greenland as she unpacks more of the important value and the important place of full-bodied, whole-hearted movement play. It just leaves me to say thank you for listening to this episode of Turning Little Stones. We hope it's given you some food for thought and maybe some ideas to try. As always, you'll find the show notes for this episode, together with further information, episodes and resources, by heading over to our website, www.turninglittlestones.com. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.